welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcasts. Special Counsel Robert Mueller's Russia investigation seems to be proceeding in several different directions, and we only learn about them when his office announces the indictments or the plea agreements. Something that seemed to have been missing was a connection between President Trump and the inquiry into whether his presidential campaign colluded with Russia during the 2016 election. There are indications now that Mueller is focusing his attention higher up the ladder to Trump and that question. NBC News is reporting that Mueller's team is asking witnesses questions about whether Trump knew that Democratic emails had been stolen before it was publicly known and whether Trump was aware of plans for WikiLeaks to publish the emails. Joining me is Jimmy Garulai, professor at Notre Dame University Law School. Jimmy, this seems to be echoing that Watergate question, what did the president know and when did he know it, or am I reading too much into it? No, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, there's a couple of, of facts here. One, I think uh, it's been uh, established that the Russians did attempt to interfere with the 2016 presidential election. All 17 of the federal intelligence agencies agree on that fact. Even the president's own uh, national security advisor, General H.R. McMaster, has stated as much, saying it's now incontrovertible that there was uh, an attempt to interfere with the election. And uh, then with respect to that, the other fact is we know that during the campaign, uh, the president, uh, then, then um, candidate Trump, made several statements alluding to the Russians at one, uh, uh, at one time, uh, encouraging them to uh, hack into or find Hillary Clinton's emails, and then on several occasions praising WikiLeaks for systematically disclosing emails of Hillary Clinton, John Podesta, the chair of her presidential campaign that were benefiting benefiting the president. And, and so those two facts, now the question is, with respect to those two facts, do we have a more direct link? Was the president actually uh, aware of the, the, uh, the hacking of the DNC and Podesta's emails, and was he or members of his campaign involved in assisting uh, the Russians or assisting WikiLeaks in systematically disclosing those emails? In the indictment of 13 Russians laid out a very specific and elaborate conspiracy to interfere with the election. Those Russians will never be tried. But explain how that conspiracy could be the groundwork for charging Trump or others. Well, we know, again, we know a couple of things. We know that the interference by the Russians had, had at least two dimensions. One, they were, they were using social media in a very sophisticated, very organized way to try to influence uh, public opinion uh, in favor of, pres- of, of Trump, candidate Trump and against candidate uh, Clinton. But, but there's another important dimension to the Russian interference, and that's the hacking. We know that the Russians were involved, or Russian intelligence agencies were involved in hacking the DNC uh, emails and then hacking John Podesta's emails. And so, uh, so, so as a result of that, now if there was collusion or conspiracy or cooperation or coordination between the Russians and WikiLeaks and members of the Trump campaign, that could give rise to uh, crimes, federal crimes, including a violation of the Computer Fraud Act, which makes it an offense 
to access without authority uh, an individual's uh, computer and then obtain information from those con- computer files and use those in an effort to perpetrate fraud. But if, as far as a, a conspiracy count, what would Mueller have to show? Like, What kind of act on the part of the president or those around him? <laughs> In, in reality, there doesn't have to be an act on, on the part of the president. There would need to be an agreement. So the, the prosecutor, uh, Mueller, would have to prove that there was an agreement between uh, perhaps members of the Russian intelligence agency, Russian operatives, uh, members of WikiLeaks, uh, Julian Assange, and then members of the, of the Trump campaign. So was there a meeting of the minds between any of those, those parties to, to hack into the DNC and then to use those emails, to distribute those emails in a way that would damage Hillary Clinton and benefit uh, Donald Trump. Let's turn to Trump's strain, to say the least, relationship with his Attorney General Jeff Sessions. According to the Washington Post, Mueller's team has been questioning witnesses about Trump's private comments and his state of mind last summer about the time he belittled, he was belittling Sessions in a series of tweets talking about his beleaguered attorney general. And the the Post report said that people familiar with the matter said a key area for the investigators is whether those efforts were part of a pattern of attempted obstruction of justice. Explain more about what they may be looking for here. Well, again, obstruction of justice involves an attempt to undermine a a pending judicial proceeding uh, and, and in this particular case, it could be a, a grand jury proceeding, the grand jury proceeding that's ongoing with respect to the, the Russia investigation. And so the, the issue here is, first, was there an, an attempt to interfere with that grand jury investigation? And further, if there was, was the defendant, was the, the, the president in this case acting with a corrupt intent? And so the president certainly has the power and the authority to fire any of the members of his his cabinet. But if he does so with a corrupt intent, meaning an improper purpose, that could potentially give rise to obstruction of justice. So the question here is, was the president uh, attempting to pressure uh, Attorney General Sessions to, to, to leave his post in an effort to, to hamper or undermine the ongoing grand jury investigation involving uh, Russian uh, interference with the 2016 election? It gets very complicated when you start to talk about what actually, what kind of proof is actually needed. But you always help us there. Thank you, Jimmy. That's Jimmy Garula. He's a professor at Notre Dame University Law School. Also, of course, more than 30 aides to President Trump have been stripped of access to top secret intelligence, according to two people familiar with the move. The college hoop scandal led to a different kind of March madness in a New York courtroom yesterday. Federal prosecutors are looking into bribery at the highest levels of college basketball, and they complained to a federal judge about leaks of court documents detailing payments to players, saying the premature disclosure of evidence could endanger their investigation. Defense attorneys denied that they were the source of the leaks. Judge Lewis Kaplan said, this stops now, wherever it came from. Joining me is Benjamin Levine, senior counsel at Gordon and Reese. Benjamin, tell us about the initial indictment of the 10 assistant coaches, the show company executives and agents, and where that stands. Hey, Jen. Well, uh, thank you so much for having me today. Um, this is an interesting case, and it's been sort of 
perplexing in my eyes, and I think to a lot of um, observers, since the indictment came down in September, that the federal government got involved with college basketball. Pretty much what happened was the FBI uh, came out, and they've been investigating college basketball and amateurism and the NCAA rules for the last couple of years, and sort of an elaborate um, investigation if you look into 3,000 hours of wiretapping, uh, wiretaps, uh, undercover agents that were involved. And pretty much what they were doing is saying that federal law was not violated. However, the NCA rules, which um, is the regulatory arm of college athletics, those rules were being violated. And the FBI had juris- the FBI and the federal government had jurisdiction to get involved because schools, of course, receive uh, significant federal funding. So that's sort of how the FBI got involved here. So now the prosecutors were complaining about a Yahoo Sports report Mm -hmm. from last week that revealed details of the federal investigation. I believe there was also an ESPN report. What did those reports disclose that wasn't known before? Sure. Well, there's two different uh, reports that are sort of the subject of the leaks and the judge being pretty aggravated with all sides yesterday at that hearing. Uh, The first was a report from Yahoo, which laid out documents that were most likely exchanged in Discovery, but laid out pretty intricate records from Andy Miller, ASM Sports, which is a, uh, Andy's a pretty big uh, basketball agent. And his office was implicated because one of his associates, Christian Dawkins, was indicted as part of the initial indictments in September. Um, The day the indictments came down, it was reported that ASM, the FBI, the feds came in and they uh, gathered a ton of evidence. They took their computers, their servers. In part, on their servers were Excel sheets, which allegedly laid out uh, payments that were paid from ASM Sports, specifically Christian Dawkins, and a few other associates at ASM, to high school athletes and their families to theoretically get them to most likely eventually sign with them when they turn pro. Um, and the leak that was in Yahoo Sports, it was pretty intricate in detail because they were actual, at the actual documents and the spreadsheets which were uh, disclosed in uh, the investigation. The ESPN report is actually even murkier because Sean Miller, who is the coach of uh, the Arizona, one of the best teams in the country, is reportedly on, was caught on a wiretap with Christian Dawkins discussing how they could pay DeAndre Ayton, who's most likely going to be the number one pick um, this year when he declares for the NBA draft, how they were able to pay his family and him $100,000 to attend Arizona. So the judge, obviously these are two you know, uh, huge uh, parts of the case, and you know, these are the smoking guns you always hear about, and somehow they've made their way into the press and for the public to consume. No. And obviously there's concerns from the judge because you, you do want to have a fair trial uh, when this eventually goes to trial. You don't want to have the jury pool polluted by uh, evidence that gets out prior to being introduced to the jury. It, it seems like the prosecutors were the ones that were complaining more. Does it hurt the prosecution more or the defense? You know what? It's always, uh, it's always funny when it comes to leaks because this information always gets out. And, you know, I always tell people when they're trying to figure out uh, what's the point of this getting out? You have to point to who the source of the leak was and try to decide what they have to gain. And I can see it from both ends. I mean, the prosecutors are saying, we didn't do it. They're pointing fingers at the defense. The defense is saying, we didn't do it. We're pointing fingers at the prosecution. I mean, both sides have an interest of 
could have their own interest in getting this stuff out. On the point of the prosecutors, they could be releasing this information specifically as it pertains to Sean Miller to sort of scare other people to come forward saying, look, we have 3,000 hours of wiretapped conversations and you could be next. So if you have any information, come to us now and get the best deal. And, you know, it'll look more favorable if you come and disclose what you know now. On the defense side, they could be saying, look, this is a witch hunt towards just the few, the 10 people that were indicted. This actually goes a lot further than um, just the defendants that are actually named. Sean Miller, for instance, he's not named in any indictment and hasn't been mentioned once as being a part of this uh, case. So, Ben, one of the defense attorneys said he'd already raised concerns with prosecutors that too many documents had been designated as confidential. And Judge Kaplan told both sides that they should expect a revised order on procedures for confidential documents in order not to jeopardize the a fair trial. What kind of procedures for confidential documents can can he really close the the leaks here? Can he can the judge stop the leaks with new procedures? The judge could do everything he can in his power to try to prevent leaks, but unfortunately, um, unfortunately, it's really difficult to stop somebody from getting their narrative out there. I imagine that the new order will be a very uh, tight gag order that will have significant penalties to either side if it comes out that they're the ones actually leaking the information. And we typically see this in a lot of high-profile cases where um, attorneys are put under gag orders, they can't speak to the press, and this can now encompass all the documents that are being exchanged between uh, both sides. But unfortunately, this case seems like it's you know, bigger than what we already, this case seems like it's a lot bigger than what's initially being reported, and a lot of other people are implicated, and when people are being interviewed by the FBI, it could be a lot more than just the 10 defendants that are already named. Then we've seen a higher-profile investigation where there seem never to be any leaks, and that's the special counsel's Russia investigation. How do you account for that? Well, I mean, I would disagree with you on one point. I think there have been some selective leaks that have come out recently. Um, but from, all, from everything I've read and from everything I know about Robert Mueller, he is a straight, by-the-book kind of guy, and he doesn't play dirty. And, you know, that could be a big part of it, too, is that, his personality and the way he runs his operation and his investigation is to keep it a lot more close to the vest. I think recently a few things have been uh, coming out as it pertains to the Russia investigation because it might be coming to its close, and they're trying to get certain people to flip and give out some information and maybe roll on a few people that are higher up that haven't been named yet or indicted. Yeah, the leaks are selective recently. They seem to be coming for for specific reasons, whereas these leaks were, were they just, we have about 30 seconds here. Were you shocked by these leaks? Um, I haven't been shocked about anything as it pertains to this case, because when you have an industry, um, when you have an organization like the NCA that runs an industry that's multi-billions of dollars, and it has a labor force that doesn't get paid, unfortunately, there's going to be a black market. And, you know, their labor force, these players that Generally, a lot of them come from low-income families. They can't afford to even buy a cup of coffee on campus. So if somebody's offering you some money... All right, we've got to end it there, but we will pick up this conversation again. That's Benjamin Levine, Senior Counsel at Gordon-Reese. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.